I gave my life to God a long time ago. I was baptized. I took my first communion. I was confirmed. But, you know, I fell away from God for a little while, but I've always been a Christian. Are these biblical excuses for sin? Will these things make it right with God now and guarantee you an entrance into heaven at last? Will we escape or will you escape the coming judgment by these things? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury and the Wyoming Valley and spreading elsewhere. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and are interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, then stay tuned for contact info. Hi, my name is Eric Samborski, and I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday on WITK here at 9 a.m., 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you missed the radio program, then look for God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform and look on YouTube at 9 a.m. every Sunday. Also, check us out on Gab TV. These will all be uploaded and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, and YouTube. And Twitter I'm probably going to remove very soon. And that's spelled G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like, follow, and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24, it reads this way. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Quite a, a, a little, I mean, quite an amazing section of scripture. but. Do we call ourselves Christians, then we have to consider those truths that were just spoken and pretty much the entire context of the book of Hebrews. If we call ourselves Christians, then think about that moment in Mount Sinai for a minute, how scared the people were. And now we have our high priest in heaven before God. And how do we now think about things? How do we now think about the life that we should live? If we gave our lives to God, Years ago, the question is, is it presently up to date? So we're going to start looking in Hebrews chapter 12. The first thing I want to think about is listening to God's voice, listening to his voice. There's a ton of voices around us, but God's voice is the most important. A lot of times people may think that listening to God's voice is overly mystic, though the child of God does hear and understand God's voice in many different ways, impressions upon our minds and a heart, and we just know when it's God and we know when it's our own thoughts, we know when it's someone else's, 
but we're trying to listen for God's voice. But the fail-safe way to listen to God's voice and to know that I'm listening to God's voice is to check everything by the Word of God. And He speaks through His Word. His Word is living, and it's a different book than any other book that you and I could ever read. We can read it as self-authenticating because the Spirit of God moves and breathes through that book. So thinking about listening to God's voice, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, the 25th verse, that's where we're going to be starting. We read there, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking, that is Jesus Christ now in these last days. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. A little bit of background of of the book of Hebrews is extremely helpful. So the book of Hebrews is written to Jews that became Christians, that were believers, that tasted of the grace of God. Then a group of Judaizers came in, and those were ones that said, Jesus isn't enough. You still have to keep the ceremonial law. And because of the persecution of these Judaizers, these believing Jews started to think, you know what? Maybe we need to turn and, and kind of adopt a little bit of this um, ceremonial law so that we can kind of maybe live peaceably with them. The persecution doesn't have to feel so hot. And Paul is warning them and showing them that going back to all this is a huge mistake and it will ultimately damage your soul. So now he is pushing with all of his might to thrust this application upon them and saying, see that you do not refuse him, that is Jesus who is speaking. For if they, that's the people of God back in the times of Moses, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's Moses warning them, much less will we Christians escape if we reject him, Christ, who is warning us from heaven. So that's the force and application of these words, but let's break it apart. Let's pull apart first this part. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So. Notice that it says, is speaking. When we look at the context here of Hebrews chapter 12, Moses did speak in the past tense, but now Moses is dead and gone. However, the person that we're told to listen to now is speaking and currently is speaking. It's Jesus Christ. He's the ever-living one who's seated at the right hand of the Father, who is speaking, and his speaking voice goes throughout the entire earth looking for souls that will listen to him. And and certainly, Christ is speaking to his church, which is his bride. And he says, listen, don't refuse him who is speaking, not he who spoke in times past, but he who is speaking now, that is, the living Christ. Now, he's making a comparison between Moses before and Christ living now and saying that Christ is worthy of much more of our paying attention to him, of our obedience, and of our listening. So Moses, he spoke clear words of obedience back in the Old Testament, and people carelessly heard them. I say this to my children before, you heard the words that I spoke, but did you listen? Listening implies that you allow those words to sink in deep, we understand them, and it affects us, and we obey. Hearing is just, I hear this auditory stuff coming into my ear, somebody's talking. And so back in those times of Moses, people were carelessly hearing him. The problem is they didn't obey. So we have a lot of this going before us as we look into uh, the Old Testament. But after the exodus of the Israelites 
out of Egypt and supposed to be on their way to Canaan land, uh, they were quick to start grumbling. We read about that in Exodus 15. Oh, you brought us out here and now we're going to die. It's like they don't remember the terrible and awful oppression that they just had in Egypt and they're already complaining about things, even though they're not under the thumb of such grueling oppression. At Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 32, uh, they made and worshipped a golden calf, a golden cow statue. Nadab and Abihu uh, did not abide by God's commands later for worship, but they came in with strange incense. We read these certain incidents of people disobeying God and, and just immediately turning away from him. We read about the fire and the quail, where they said that they wanted, they're so sick and tired of eating the manna that God was provided, uh, had provided for them. We want something more substantial. So God said, I will give them quail. I'll give them so much that they'll stuff themselves and vomit it out. And he was so angry with their rebellion, their whininess, their, their babyishness, that after that had happened, a consuming fire went through the people and loads of them had perished in it because of the rebellion of their heart. We read in another place, <clears throat> chapter 12, I believe, of Numbers, of Miriam's rebellion, and then, because of the rebellion, a consequence. She had said, you're, you're not the only one, Moses. It's not just for you, Moses. Aaron and I also are holy, and we can also, God also speaks through us. That was the jealousy coming through their heart. We read about also the time when Moses told the people, uh, certain people of Israel, 12 spies, to go into the land of Canaan and to spy out and see if that land was a land that flows with milk and honey, the promised land of God. They went in there and they said, yeah, it definitely is, but they distrusted God. They said, no, no way it's going to happen. Those people in there are like giants. We're not going to make it. Only two of the 10 had a good report. That was Joshua and Caleb. They had a different spirit. But the, the other 10 convinced all of Israel to not go ahead and claim the promised land. Then that generation was denied entry into the promised land after, in another situation, they were denied entry because God had said, go up and do it, and they refused to do it and said, we're not going to. You brought us out here to die, and we're not going to do it. And there was consequences to that also. And in addition to that, they decided, well, maybe we messed up and we should go in there anyways. And then there was more rebellion and disobedience, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. We read about a Sabbath breaker in chapter 15 of the book of Numbers. They were told, not to six days shalt thou work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. You don't gather up sticks for things. You don't gather up any more food. You gather that the day before, and God will provide the rest. It's supposed to be a Sabbath day. <clears throat> well, a man, he gathered sticks anyways in direct violation of what God had said, and there was a consequence for it. We also read about the insolence of Korah. That was a, a man, his family, and others that followed him in number 16. It says that they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far, Moses, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And then we read about how God showed them who was the true people of God by the budding of Aaron's staff. We also read, about the time when God was going to send water forth from the rock as the people of Israel were complaining that they didn't have anything to drink, and God miraculously was going to provide water for them out of a rock, and he just told Moses to speak to the rock. But Moses was so angry, he said, now must I fetch water for you rebels? And he was speaking to the children of Israel. There was a consequence to that also. We read about the bronze snake that was on a pole. These poisonous snakes were biting them, 
and they uh, people were dying. So Moses was instructed by God to make this bronze serpent that was to be on a pole. And he told the people, if you just look at the serpent, you will be spared. Lo and behold, there were people that didn't look at the serpent and there were consequences because of that. We read also about Israel's sins in Moab. The people of Israel, they started to whore with the daughters of Moab. And one man in particular, Zimri, took a Midianite wife, which was in direct opposition to God's command that they, the, God's people, the Israelites, were not to intermarry with the nations around them and learn their wicked and sinful ways. But they did anyways, and there was a consequence to that. What am I saying? Moses spoke clear words of obedience to the children of Israel, and they carelessly heard those words but didn't really take it to heart. Notice that in the Bible, hearing is linked with obedience. Also, notice that disobedience is linked with unbelief. So if you do not obey, according to the scriptures, you are not a true believer. And we'll get into some of those New Testament verses that bear out the same. But if you do not obey, then you're not a true believer. And that really is the force of this book of Hebrews, the application. Now, the next part of this verse in 25, it says, For if they, the people back there in the Old Testament, did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Now, remember I said there was consequences for things? Well, when Miriam rose up and Aaron rose up against Moses, we're told that Miriam turned into, uh, she had leprous. So that was a consequence to her rebellion and disobedience. Then we read about because of everyone believing that evil report uh, of Canaan that the 10 spies had given, the people of Israel then died in the wilderness and they never got to see the promised land. We also read that the Israelites at a later time were denied into the into entry into the promised land because they were grumbling against Moses. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They said, we sinned. Oh no, we wanted to go back to Egypt. And God said that, no, you're not going to go into the promised land now because of your rebelliousness. And then they said, oh, we're sorry, we sinned, and and now we're going to go up and possess the land that God has promised to us. And Moses told them not to transgress God again, because God said, surely they will not go up. But they said, we messed up, we're going to go up anyways. And he said, don't do that. Now you're disobeying God again. But they didn't listen. So they went up without God, and then they were miserably defeated in a battle. We That man that broke the Sabbath, he was stoned to death. Korah and his followers that said, we're holy just like you are. They were swallowed up. The, the ground opened up and swallowed all those rebels right into the ground. And great fear was upon all the people of Israel. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock when God told him to, he struck the rock and hit it hard. And then God said, now you won't set foot into the promised land. I'll take you up on a mountain and you can see it, but you'll, you won't set foot in it because of that. Those bronze, the bronze snake and those people that didn't look at it, as was mentioned before, well, they died. They perished out there in the wilderness. Zimri, when he was intermarrying uh, with that Midianite woman, he and the Midianite woman were both thrust through with a spear by Phineas, the priest, in judgment. So remember, I said that part of the verse, for if they did not escape when they refused him, that is Moses who warned them on earth, here's the thrust. Is it going to be any less if we, if, if, are we going to escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven? That is Jesus Christ. So punishment, we're told, certainly is going to come our way if we disobey Christ. It's going to be even worse for us, according to the scriptures. This speaks against the brazen teaching that we find today, that basically we can get our ticket punched and then everything's going to be okay. We can live however we want. 
You don't find that in the scripture. You don't find the call to holiness inside of the scripture. It's like God's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I don't care how well-known some of the preachers are of our day. They, they, if they twist the scriptures around to mean that we can live however we please after this and we can never forfeit our salvation, people say, you can't lose your salvation. Well, it's not like we woke up one day and wondered where it went, but we forfeit it. We turn our back on God. That's not what the scriptures speak. The scriptures speak that we can break our covenant with God. So the warning from heaven that is spoken about here is that these Jewish believers do not turn away from Christ and go back to the ceremonial law. And this is not saying that these people, uh, these Jews or any Christians from then until now can disobey the moral law, but not to go back to the ceremonial law as their salvation. That's what Paul was dealing with. The warning was that they would lose their soul if they turned away from Christ. And you say, oh, brother, that's not what the Bible speaks. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. We read, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So the statement in this verse or in these verses tells us that it's possible for a believer to draw back away from God and end up in perdition or hell. And he was saying, I don't believe you guys are going to do that. It was like a, a good way of encouraging them to continue to go the right way without telling them, you know, with a very flat out blunt word. This, uh, with Moses, was the visible earthly kingdom of God, but there is now coming the overarching kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. And rejecting these warnings that Paul was giving in the book of Hebrews and all the other warnings in the New Testament, not to turn away from Christ and to stay faithful unto death and to keep obedient to God, if we reject these warnings, then we're told here that it is damnation to our souls. It's something that it's very serious and we need to take it very seriously. So do not listen to these that tell us that we can sin in thought, word, and deed every day of our life and still be a Christian. That's not what the Bible teaches. Listen to God's voice, not the voice of men that twist the simplicity of God's word. Next, we're looking at the coming shaking and the coming judgment. In verse 26, we read, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. At that time, his voice shook the earth is talking about Mount Sinai, the time of Moses when the giving of the law happened. God descended on the mountain in a cloud, so it was visible in that sense, though they couldn't see God. And there was lightning and thunders, and it was terrifying to the people. They trembled and shook. Even Moses, he trembled and shook. It said he was afraid. The people then, when they saw that, they said, Moses, you go up there and talk to God. We're terrified. So you go up there, you take from him whatever he needs to say, and then you come back down here and relay that to us, and then we'll do what God says. So there was that time a shaking and, and a trembling on the earth. They felt it. They saw it so much so that it was recorded down in a book, which we now call the Bible. It's recorded down in a book. They saw it with their own eyes. But now we're saying at that time, that happened, but now there's these future promises. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And that future promise is that there will be a shaking of the entire earth. We read in Revelation 16, 18, speaking towards the end of time, and there were voices 
and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since uh, men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. This is taken, this scripture, is ta- uh, uh, scripture excuse me, is taken from Haggai uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The riches of the earth, then, will come into the temple of God, and it will be more glorious than anything that's ever been seen. In other words, he's going to so shake the earth that everything in the earth is going to be worthless, and all the glory is going to go to God because Jesus is coming a second time and is going to descend on this earth. So there is a future shaking that is going to happen of the earth. So it's going to be a disruption of everything in the earth that people so give themselves to the foundations they stand on. But not only that, he tells us there's going to be a shaking of the heavens. And if we look in Isaiah chapter 24, verses 18 through 23, it reads, He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare, for the windows of heaven are open, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded, and the sun ashamed, for the Lord of hosts reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Here comes Jesus, back down on earth. We're told he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives again in the last day. And not only did we read here that there's going to be a shaking of the earth where it's just going to wipe out all the wickedness of the earth and the people of the earth that don't love God, but he's going to deal with the principalities and powers that are in the heavenly realms. And they're all going to be gathered up and they're going to be thrown into a pit. And that pit is the pit of hell. So there's not only revolutions that take place here on earth with warfare and political upheaval, that's happened all throughout history. But um, there will be a disruption and shaking of the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms as well. In other words, the power of Satan will be broken altogether. Dear listener, you and I, we're looking at all the stuff that's going on in our world, and some of it's awful. But that, that's not all that we, that, that's really going on. There's a heavenly realm that you and I cannot see. Wicked spirits that then are helping these wicked people on earth to do wicked things and influencing whole cities and towns and nations, governments, governors, presidents, senators, congressmen, and whatever kind of form of government you have. There's the power of the devil, those principalities in the heavenly realms. And we're told that he's going to shake the heaven and he's going to shake the earth where those principalities and powers are just the same. So there is going to be a shaking. And when we read in verse 27, it says, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. So shaking has a way of separating. Think of sifting. There's large debris that's left behind when you sift. I remember a kid, I had this little plate and it had little square holes in it and you'd put sand on it, you shake it back and forth, and then stones would be left and the sand would have went through. But this is a great shifting that God is doing in these last days, the shaking of the world. God's trying to bring the lost to repentance. Then there's the shaking of the church. 
God is trying to revive the church so that she's ready for his second coming. God is going to expose his true bride and turn uh, and expose those that are pretenders in the church just the same. This is then going to magnify God's justice in the end. Those that could be shaken, or could not be shaken rather, will remain at the last day and they're going to be caught up with him. But those that were shaken, they're going to be ashamed, calling for the rocks and hills to be falling on them, to hide the him, hide them from the face of him with whom they have to do. The unshaken are those that have been obedient to Christ, no matter how crazy and difficult things got. No matter the persecution from the world, no matter the hypocrisy and persecution of the church, no matter if it seems they are but very few in number, their allegiance is always and only to King Jesus. So the shaking is coming and the judgment is coming. Then we're told this in verse 28. Now it is in light of God's character and the judgment, how are we going to live? Verse 28 then says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And then we read in verse 29, For our God is a consuming fire. It says, therefore, in this verse. So knowing that there's going to be an incredible shaking that is coming towards the end, we're instructed, let's be grateful that the kingdom that, that believers are a part of and will be a part of visibly is one that cannot be overcome by human hands. It cannot be shaken. No powers can shake the kingdom of God. And this helps us to keep our trust in God, in the kingdom that we cannot see, even when it looks like evil is winning. So if the kingdom is unshakable, then the question is, how should we be? We should offer to God acceptable worship, this verse says, 100% obedience sold out to God and his son and to the furthering of his kingdom. We are to have that great sense of awe falling down at the feet of the majesty of the one who is on high. Instead of thinking of God as the big man upstairs, as some people say, we see him as the ancient of days. We see him with a brilliant splendor around him. We see him with flames of fire inside of his eyes. He is holy. He's altogether untouchable by all the powers that are in existence. We should give him acceptable worship, falling down at his feet and seeing him for who he really is, to have that great sense of awe. So then, if we have that, then we shouldn't live like the world lives. We should live in holiness and righteousness. Remember, God said, be ye holy, for I, the Lord thy God, am holy. It wasn't just a trick for him to say that. He meant it. He meant it because what Jesus did on the cross will make us holy if we let it. But if we give excuses, woe to us when that shaking and judgment comes. We're told that our God is a consuming fire. In Jude, the sixth verse, we read about the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. And he, God, has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. If the judgment of God has been recorded in the scriptures as we have already looked, those examples that I had gave before, and then if angels were cast out of heaven and thrown into hell, why should it be any different with us that have come into the kingdom by faith? In the book of Jude, we are called to persevere all the way to the end and to be different than the wicked world and the pretenders around us. In 1 John 2, 
3 through 6, we read, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Do you fully obey Christ? Are you really a Christian? According to this verse, real Christians obey Jesus. Do not be deceived by smooth talkers that say they are the preachers of God. You must be walking in victory over sin. That is the Bible message. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoso abideth in him sinneth not, and whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Dear listener, are you really a Christian? Do you have true victory over sin? It is, uh, th- this truth is not made to put us into a bondage, but to make a sharp divide so that we can know that we have certain victory in Christ and to keep it. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com. I'd love to get together with you and help you further in your journey to walk with God. Check out our social media, Facebook, YouTube, Gab. Tell your friends about it. And also tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK. But above all, join the resistance. God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.